doctors don't have a clear understanding of it. It started opening up my mind to like, how does the human body work? This is a real thing that really affects people. This is a major pain. Welcome to Major Pain. I'm your host, Jesse Mercury, and this week we'll be speaking with Emily about her undiagnosed illness. Emily is now 27 years old, and she started having seizures when she was around 8 or 9. Although she's been having seizures for most of her life, she never got a diagnosis as to why. This was for several reasons. She grew up in poverty with a family that moved around a lot and didn't always have access to medical insurance. And on top of that, it was just sort of assumed that Emily's seizures were just a strange quirk, just a part of who she was, and none of the adults in her life pursued a diagnosis on her behalf. So it was just something that she just lived with until it became much more serious as an adult. Emily's seizures will now wipe her out for days at a time. On top of that, she's experiencing intense fatigue, migraines, light sensitivity, food sensitivity, vertigo, chronic neck and shoulder pain, joint pain, and she's having difficulty standing and walking. Throughout her childhood, she'd always seen herself as able-bodied, but now that things have progressed, she is making the transition into being a disabled student in grad school. We talk about the difficulty of being seen in public using a wheelchair for the first time, the struggle to recontextualize yourself and your body in the face of changing ability, and the constant battle of trying to get doctors to take you seriously. As someone who is also undiagnosed, I'm always interested to talk to someone in a similar situation. And although some of the details of our stories are quite different, I was really struck by how quite a few things are incredibly similar between Emily and I. It was sort of uncanny to hear someone else say things that could have come out of my own mouth about my own health situation. Just a reminder that there's so many of us out there, and no matter how isolated we feel inside of our own health journeys, there are other people going through the same thing just out of sight and just out of reach. So it reminded me of the power of connecting connecting us through this show, and it's just something I'm so excited to do. Another story that I'm really, really excited to share. So grateful for Emily to come on the show, and we'll get to it in just a couple minutes. I have a huge thank you this week to send to Claire, who sent a massive $50 donation through PayPal with the following note. I recently found your podcast and I can't express the impact it has had on me. I'm currently trying to get additional diagnoses for symptoms that don't fall under the umbrella of my current conditions. And your podcast has provided a lot of the things many of us who experience chronic pain have a hard time finding. Community, validation, and a good laugh. Thank you. Claire, I was overwhelmed by your generosity and by that lovely message. Thank you so much. I appreciate it so much. As I always say, I'm really hoping to turn this podcast into a career someday, so any financial support is so greatly appreciated. For anyone looking to donate through PayPal, you can do so using our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also sign up for monthly contributions to support this show through Patreon. Thank you so much to our top-tier Patreon producers who support the show at $25 per month. Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, and Trish O'Brien. Your support is so appreciated, as well as the rest of our Patreon community. We offer monthly bonus episodes, special recognition, and gifts. If you'd like to learn more, you can head over to patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast, or you can find all the ways to support the show at majorpainpodcast.com slash support. I also greatly appreciate any interaction on our social media platforms, TikTok and Instagram, both at Major Pain Podcast, 
or leaving a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you listen to our show that has a rating and review system that is massively helpful for spreading the word about this show. I just, I get so much joy out of seeing this grow. I can't even believe it sometimes that this thing that that we are creating together is growing and, and thriving. So thank you all so much for being a part of this. It means so much to me. I'll remind you as always that I am not a medical professional and please do not take any medical action based off what you hear on this show before first consulting your doctor. And with that, we'll jump into our fantastic conversation with Emily about her undiagnosed disease. Emily, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Yeah, it's exciting to, uh, yeah, I guess, see you after hearing you. Um, yeah, <laughs> got to put a face to everything. Yeah, thank you so much. I, you've been such a huge supporter of the podcast. I've really appreciated it. And it's great to finally uh, see your face because we've been emailing for a while. And, you know, it's nice to meet you virtually. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, Emily, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so I... Um, mostly originally from Maine, but I live um, out on the East Coast outside of Boston. Um, yeah, so it's snowing a lot right now here. Um, I'm in grad school. I feel like that's a big part of my life right now. Um, but I'm on medical leave, so in it, but not totally in it right now. I'm about halfway through um, studying clinical social work. Um, so really passionate about mental health stuff. It's, yeah, like I feel like I'm pretty nerdy about it. Um, it's sort of my love in life. Um, I love dogs, kind of like a dog obsessed, uh, yeah, uh, obsessed person, I guess. I, uh, <laughs> I have a dog, but I'm also fundraising for a service dog right now. Um, yeah, so dogs have been a big part of, I guess, sort of my process and coping with disability and life and all that. Um, yeah, I like to do art for fun as a relaxation kind of activity and got outside a lot more before I developed all this chronic health stuff. So I guess uh, wanting to be more outdoorsy uh, as I, yeah, I guess like adjust to having physical limitations, but yeah. Yeah. What type of art do you do? Um, I love watercolor and collage. I think those are my two favorite. Um, yeah. But also trying to get into uh, more like textile stuff, so like embroidery and yeah. Very cool. Well, it sounds like your, your health stuff is relatively recent. Um, in some ways, yes and no. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I feel like that's a complicated um it's progressed a lot more recently. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. 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 Well, I have, I'm so curious to hear about it. Let's jump into it. Emily, what is your major pain? Um, yeah, it's actually interesting. I uh I feel like I thought about a lot uh, I thought a lot about this question before. Um yeah, um yeah, I guess like uh, before coming on. Um in some ways, like, I feel like my first response to that is, like, my major pain is, like, dealing with all of this and, like, ableism on top of it and just kind of, like, figuring out how to, like, be a disabled person in the world. But I guess it's just kind of <laughs> probably what everybody, um, yeah, kind of are thinking about. But, um, yeah, so my physical health stuff, or I guess all my health stuff started in really early childhood. Mm. Um yeah, so I had my first seizure in 2003, and I'm 27, so um, it's probably like eight or nine at that time. Um, yeah, so I had a seizure, um, and, you know, seizures new to my family. Nobody had had them, so it wasn't something that anyone was used to or familiar with. Um, 
Yeah. So I think that was kind of like the first indicator, but uh, I feel like an important part of my story too is I guess like growing up in poverty um, and like here in the U.S. in poverty and having to then kind of, I guess, navigate that with the medical system. So like I moved a lot and didn't always have access to medical insurance. Um, yeah. So I feel like that's a very important part of, I guess, my experience in all this. And like, maybe I would have had a diagnosis years ago if, um, yeah, like if I lived in a place that had, uh, or yeah, that like allowed me to have access to medical care. Um, yeah. So I had that seizure and my family didn't really know, um, how to deal with it, I guess. And, uh, my tests came all, yeah, um, like they came up normal, you know, like I feel like that's like a common thing that I hear. It's yeah. like, yeah, like somebody has these concerning medical symptoms and all the blood work is fine and all the tests are fine. Yeah. So like, um, that happened to me and otherwise I seemed like a healthy kid. So there wasn't really much concern there, but then I kept having the seizures. Mm. Um, but I was like an active kid and, uh, like, I think because I was told it wasn't anything to be concerned about by family, I think I kind of like absorbed that. I was like, Oh, whatever. Like, it's not, um, yeah, it's just, yeah. Like, it's just like a weird quirk of Emily. Um, yeah. So I always sort of had the seizures, um, and was somebody who got sick a lot more, I think than other kids, you know, like if there's like a bug going around, I would get it. Um, you know, like had whooping cough at one point and like weird stuff and, um, developed asthma in middle school, but, uh, nothing major or like nothing that I saw as major. Like it was just my normal, I guess, like having these seizures. Um, yeah. Um, and they look like grand mal seizures. So I don't know if you know what a grand mal is or like if I should explain kind of what that. Sure. Yeah. Tell us about that. Yeah. So I think for everyone it's different, but for me, um, I like know they're going to come on like a couple seconds beforehand. Like I get a similar feeling and then I black out. So after that, my knowledge of the event is gone. This is just like what other people tell me. Um, I like droop over to the ground and fall over. Um, and then my whole body stiffens. Um, yeah. So like arms and legs stiff, I guess, sort of like a board. And then I shake and my eyes roll back and mouth opens and closes. So like, it's pretty terrifying to watch. I imagine I've never seen it um, on myself, but uh, yeah. So I sort of had those, um, yeah, my whole life. And like, I would get them like, you know, like sometimes I would get them once a month or so or twice a month. And then I would have like a chunk of time where I wouldn't have them. So I would think, oh, okay, like I've grown out of it. Um, and that was sort of the case when I was an undergrad, which was lucky. Um, yeah, I didn't really have many seizures in undergrad. So I think I sort of thought it was like just something that was in my past and I didn't have to think about and very much like saw myself as an able-bodied person. I never would have described myself as like disabled at that point. And um, yeah, I felt like I could kind of go through life uh, without being too affected. Um, but then at the same time, um, I also have PTSD and things developed more in undergrad, but I think with like uh, mental health conditions, it's like easier to kind of, in some uh, uh, for some people, I think, uh, yeah, just uh, uh, like to cope privately and 
like I didn't like outwardly seem like I was struggling in any way. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I think I kind of was lucky in that way up until I was like 23 or 24. I guess was like, you know, like a high achieving person and was able to get through life. Um, but then things slowly kind of went downhill and uh, kind of progressed to where I am now. <laughs> um, yeah. And where are you now? What What is the situation now? Um. So where I am now is like, I still get the seizures um, and now they're much more serious when I do get them. It sort of wipes me out for a couple days, which wasn't the case before. Um, but I think the biggest thing is uh, like standing and walking. Like I can do it for like 10 or 15 minutes, but mm -hmm. it's like not something I can like reliably I guess rely on it to like yeah. get me places and do things. That yeah. So I guess like my familiar. like <laughs> Yeah. Which is a big change. It really it's yeah. like it like when you go through life, uh yeah, just like your legs are your transportation and you don't really think about accessibility or anything. Yeah. Um yeah, so like that's really progressed in like the last two years, but then uh progress a lot more in the last year, which is why I'm on medical leave from grad school. Um, yeah. So like standing and walking really difficult um, and like results in either passing out or having a seizure. Um, and then just like really intense fatigue, which I think before having it, I don't think I understood what like fatigue meant. I was like, okay, like you're tired. What? <laughs> um, but yeah, just, I guess, um, or like, uh, yeah, just like full body in like every sense of like, yeah, like so tired that you can't like think or like be coherent in any way or like, yeah, um, or staying awake is just pretty much impossible. I don't know. It's like hard to explain. And uh, yeah, so I think those are my worst things. And then the, yeah, and then just like lots of other weird things to go with it, like migraines and light sensitivity and all these weird food sensitivities now where it feels like I can't eat anything pretty much without feeling sick. Um, yeah. So lots of strange stuff. And then I guess like some weird other neurological stuff. Yes. Yeah, so like the light sensitivity and then I get vertigo a lot. Um, yeah. So um, yeah, I think I'm covering everything, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's plenty. We don't need any more. Do you have any <laughs> do you have any chronic pain issues? Yeah. Um, so I get a lot of like really intense neck and shoulder pain. Hmm. Um, and like joint pain and stuff, which I guess I can kind of like I like right now I feel like I am sort of like dipping my toes into possibly having a diagnosis, but I also Ooh. don't want to like jinx it. But yeah. <laughs> like it's seeming like I must have multiple things going on. Wow. Um so yeah, yeah, but one of you're just totally undiagnosed at this point. Yeah, which is wild. And like doctors have like it isn't really common to meet somebody my age who has had seizures this long. Yeah, and yeah, hasn't that's gotten wild. a diagnosis. But it was just I didn't have access to medical care. My family wasn't really interested in like pursuing a diagnosis. Um, wow. Yeah, and then after college, yes, like um, from like eighteen to twenty two, I like kind of lived my life and was lucky. I thought I was done with it, and then I 
graduated and started working. And then I had two really, really bad seizures um, and was sent to the emergency room. So like at that point, I couldn't really avoid it anymore Mm because it was like, yeah, like I was in an emergency room and people were like, all right, what's going on? I just want to make sure I'm following all this correctly. So you've had you've had seizures on and off your basically your whole life. Yeah, it was just kind of assumed to be just like a quirk or something it's like oh she has seizures every once in a while but she's otherwise healthy and yeah and it wasn't like no one really pushed to find that diagnosis but then things got a lot worse than uh, you know like three or four years ago and you made this transition into not really being able to function in normal society at that point and now you're just kind of really searching for a diagnosis finally is that is that accurate yeah. I, yeah. I would say so. Okay. Yeah. And like, I feel like I was sort of pushed into having in some ways to search for a diagnosis once I had those two much worse seizures. And it was like, you know, I was in the ER and doctors are taking my history and they're like, well, why haven't you pursued a di- Yeah. Like why haven't, um, why hasn't anyone kind of asked questions about this? And yeah, cause like seizures are serious and can be really dangerous. Um, yeah, and then it happened to be like around that same time when I think but like my health kind of like slowly took a decline. Um, yeah, yeah, and has just like sort of I guess like slowly been going downhill since then. So, mm. um, yeah, wow. that's so frustrating, but it's also kind of fascinating. It's like this thing has been a piece of you for your most of your life, but it has come to the fo- finally come to the forefront and now has to be like reckoned with and understood finally. But it's. It's it's not that it's new. It's just that it's like you're it's like you're finally seeing the totality of it. Um, that must be like kind of overwhelming to to think back and say like what what is this thing? It's been there this whole time, but like now it's such a huge problem. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, yeah, really bizarre. And I guess in some ways, like not identity changing, but maybe like I just always saw myself as able bodied, and I, yeah, I don't know. Like I just never gave too much thought to the seizures which I know like from talking to friends and stuff like sounds really bizarre um but it just like was such a normal piece of my life and um yeah like I think it might be harder if you're somebody who develops seizures later on and like it might feel scarier but because um yeah I just had them as a kid and it was just all right my brain's doing weird things (laughs) but yeah well if you're if the adults in your life are telling you that it's not a big deal what else are you yeah. supposed to think? You know, like you're a, a exactly, child. Yeah. <laughs> if Which you're... is something I'm like really interested in that concept because yeah. I think it's like um, we get a lot of our like ideas about what's normal with our bodies from like the communities we're raised in and the access to care we have. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah, fascinating yeah. to think about. But... Absolutely. Yeah. And that's that is something really interesting to consider is like growing up in an environment where the access to medical care is limited and the and the interest from the adults around you to really drilling deep into it is low what is the the child supposed to do there's really no option there you know yeah That's yeah and i've terrifying. met other people too kind of i guess like in their 20s or later who have had to do i guess like similar like soul searching almost of like rethinking like okay like what does it mean now that i'm like at a adult or in my adult years and things that I believed about my body aren't really true and I need to now look for answers and try to become healthier and all that um yeah definitely bizarre (laughs) 
Yeah. Well, the good thing is that now you're old enough to do it on your own. You know, now you're, yeah. you have like full autonomy as an adult to pursue your own health in the way that makes sense to you. But it must be yeah. so hard to kind of recontextualize like, okay, well, now it's my choice. What does make sense to me? Like, what is important? What do I need to look into? Yeah. Like, there's all these things that I've been told weren't important my whole life, but they are. So, what are they? <laughs> that must be like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. really, it's like a mind twister. Yeah. And even knowing like what's okay to ask a doctor and like when is it okay to push uh, or mm. be frustrated with the medical system? Um, <laughs> Yeah, I don't, yeah, yeah, all of that too, I feel like is new for me and kind of learning that in the last couple of years. Yeah, and that is tricky. Like, that's something that I've really struggled with because oftentimes when you push, they close the door. Um, they, yeah. they are like, oh, well, this person's emotional. So that must be their problem is emotion. You know, yeah. <laughs> they do that all the time, which is ridiculous. It's like, no, I you've, know. Been, you know, you've been, you know, spinning your wheels for, for years and I'm like progressively getting worse. W wouldn't you be emotional? Like, you know, you're, yeah. you're holding my health in your hands and you're not doing anything and it's making me angry. And I feel like that's normal, but you're now telling me that that is the cause of my problems. I don't think so, but it's, yeah. it's this like really dangerous trap. That's really hard not to fall into because they will just shut you down and stop trying to help. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely, I feel really passionate, I guess, about that trap that you're describing of like, yeah, just because like as somebody who like, I have a psychiatric diagnosis on my chart that, you know, doctors can read no matter what specialty I'm like seeing a doctor. And, and I do feel like sometimes that clouds. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like how doctors interact with you as a patient. Um, and I know that from working in the mental health system, the doctors do that when they see a diagnosis there. Um, like they just, um, I guess, simply put, they assume that all of your physical symptoms are related to your psychiatric diagnosis. Yeah. Um, and is that the PTSD? Yeah. 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 yeah which has been an interesting thing because I feel like I, you know, because I work in the mental health field and I like feel very open about that. Um, it's uh, like wild to me that that stigma is still there and that like medical professionals like don't quite have the comfort there and working with people with both psychiatric and medical conditions happening. But yeah. Yeah. It, that's, I really hope, I mean, it seems like that is shifting and I really hope that it is because it's just so harmful, you know, it's just awful. Yeah. But like, I don't know. Like I, I think of, you know, mental health issues as, you know, just like chronic illness as well, you know, like, yeah, me too. Like, why wouldn't they be, you know? Um, right. like, and you it's can all have, connected. Yeah. Um, it's like, if you can cut your arm or you can go through something traumatic and they can both be, you know, just as valid injuries. And sometimes right. the mental injuries can be even more severe, you know, and, and it can take so much time and effort and, um, and care to overcome something like that. But when someone presents with with mental health problems, doctors are so dismissive. It's just like, oh well, yeah. I think I think yeah. it's what what's going through their mind is like, well, this isn't my area, and I can't help you with that. But then it becomes like, oh well, you have mental health problems, so I can't help you at all. You know, yeah, like, exactly. I, I can't yeah. even like do it, run any diagnostic tests or make sure that there's nothing else going on because because suddenly you become this pariah who has mental health problems. And, yeah. you know, I learned a long time ago to, to never mention being like depressed or stressed or upset about my yeah. own like 
you know, physical health situation, it, because that would be the end of the conversation. Um, and, you know, yeah, it's I, like you feel like in appointments, you have to come across as like, like really organized mm-hmm. and not emotional about everything and just not affected. Yeah. It. But then also be able to express how serious the symptoms are and how disabling the symptoms are. Yes. Yeah, so it's like, what do you really want from me? Yeah. You have to like talk about your own body as if you are a clinician and like your yeah. body is a science project. And, you know, it's like, here are the symptoms that I'm having and here's how debilitating they are. And, you know, I've, I've done a lot of, uh, different experimentation, trying different things that might help, and it this doesn't help, and this does seem to help, and you know you yeah. have to kind of present it in a very scientific way, but it's you know it's also frustrating. It's like I just sometimes I'm in appointments and I just want to scream like, you know, I'm in pain, please help me. <laughs> but right. that's but yeah. anytime I've done anything like that, you know, you can just it just changes the entire conversation. And all of a sudden you're talking about like, well, what's your therapy situation like, you know, and I'm in therapy and I love therapy and I very much support it. But just this whole idea that that is like, you either get physical care or mental health care. And it's really hard to get both at the same time. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's such a problem. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like I've had a lot of that since I decided to go on medical leave because it's like, you know, doctors always ask all of the, like life social questions like oh who do you live with and like how are your supports in life and all that yeah so like it does come up that I like am on this leave I'm not I can only work minimally now like very few hours and I'm not in school you know so it's uh very apparent um yeah and, and I've just had so many doctors I guess sort of like think that I'm on medical leave because of the stress of grad school or think that um, like my symptoms are because of dealing with the stress of grad school. And it's like, yeah, just getting um, like being able to find the words and like frame yourself in a way where they listen to you Mm -hmm. and don't see you as somebody who's overly stressed is like really difficult. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm making sense, but yeah. And then, for sure Um, you are yeah like I feel like I've definitely also kind of like faced judgment for making changes to my life to deal with the symptoms like taking a medical leave yeah yeah and trying not to stand as much and all that yeah it's like a bizarre thing where it's like they want you to keep pushing yourself but then yeah I don't know (laughs) no I I relate to this a lot actually like it's very similar to the situation I'm in where like I've been on medical leave for five years over five years at this point and yeah. I'm in this place now where it's really hard for me to stand and walk. Um, and I am always trying to like trying to do it a little bit because I want to make sure I I work the muscles and, you know, yeah. don't atrophy. <laughs> but at the same time, the more I do it, the worse I get. So like since getting a wheelchair, I'm able to like get get out and about and do things a lot more. And that was really this eye-opening moment for me. It's like, oh wow, like, you know. I really don't know if I should be pushing my legs that hard because when I push my arms, I feel a little bit better after. And when I push my legs, I feel like death. So yeah, <laughs> like, what is yeah, that? You know, there's something like, going on yeah. there. We got to figure that out. Yeah, and like knowing when you're harming your body. Yeah. Versus. Yeah. 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 I connect with that a lot and feel like I always am feeling that of like, um, yeah, just how hard should I push myself? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. 
going back to the idea of like being judged for the state that you're in and the steps that you're taking to protect yourself. In my experience, you know, the stress of life is very, very different when your body is, is not functioning properly. So if you're like completely fatigued and completely exhausted, can barely sit up, can barely think, and then you're asked to do something that's fun that you like, but is physical. It's really stressful. It's like, yeah. <laughs> oh, you're telling me that you want me to go to Disneyland today? Like, oh my god, that is like you can almost feel the panic rising of like, I can't even sit up. How am I supposed to go to Disneyland? You know? Yeah. And that's really stressful. Like that is hard to deal with because then it's also like, oh man, I should want to do that. I do want to do that, but my body doesn't want me to. So you're fighting like mind against body and then your body's going to win. So you have to kind of give into this, you know, okay, well, I can't do this thing right now. I need to rest. Um, And like, so if you're going to a job, you know, if you're like doing a job or going to grad school or whatever it is, and you can't process information because you're so tired, it can be like physically painful to try to do that stuff. To try to think can be physically painful and to try to push through that can be so stressful. And then if you talk to a doctor and they're like, oh, it sounds like your stress is making it so that you can't do these things. It's like, no, (laughs) that's not what's happening. You know, my, my stress is coming from the fact that my body is physically incapable of doing what it used to be able to and trying to do so is causing more stress, you know? So I need to rest. I need to relax. I need to go into low power mode. I need to go on leave and I need to not push myself in that way right now so that my body can be calm. But there's, but then there's this like blame that is put on you for that, which is completely unfair. Whereas if you had a diagnosis, if you could say, Oh, you know, (laughs) I have lupus and my body needs to relax because of lupus, you know, (laughs) then the the doctor's like, Oh my God, don't push yourself. You have lupus, you know, calm down. So I, and this is the situation that I'm in as well, because I still don't have a diagnosis either. It's like, you know, doctors are always sort of like, well, I don't know about that. You know, when you tell them what you're experiencing and then that that connection between the mental health and the physical health is always in question. And until you have that test result that comes back with something concrete to show doctors you know, you have to find the patience within yourself to deal with all that on top of being sick. And it's awful. Yeah. It is awful. <laughs> That's why we're doing this podcast is because like, <laughs> because people don't tell you this stuff before you get sick, you know? Like, no. That, yeah. This is like why I wanted to do this is to kind of just let people know that this is the way that it works because you got to be yeah. mentally prepared because it sucks. <laughs> yeah. Just listening to you, um, speak yeah it's just like so much resonated with me and it like reminds me I guess like why I love your podcast so much it just like I um have struggled a lot I think to find people who talk about like lack of diagnosis Hmm. and like what that experience is like um yeah I mean like it um there's definitely a place and it's like helpful to listen to people talk about having a diagnosis and their process getting there but I think like being disabled and not knowing like the why yeah, is such an isolating experience that yeah. Yeah. Like even just socially and like in life, um, I mean like dealing with doctors is a whole nother stress, but in life it's like, you know, people ask you like, why aren't you feeling well? Or like, how are you doing? Are you doing any better? And it's like not having answers to provide it. Like, um, 
Yeah. Yeah. Definitely very different than being able to say like, oh yeah, it's like my lupus or I'm going through treatment for something. Or, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Like it becomes so exciting to find things that are wrong. Oh, it's I like know. Totally. Incredible validation of like, yeah, it's not, you know, I guess like to quote all in my head, even though if it was all in your head, it's still valid. Absolutely. Um, but, absolutely. Uh, but at the same yeah. time, there's also like this little bit of panic of like, Wait, there's something wrong with my liver? <laughs> I know, yeah. Yeah, yeah so uh, yeah, I'm I had sure... that recently. I had an echocardiogram done and like they found a birth defect or whatever. So, uh, yeah, or something wrong. And I had the panic of like, oh my God, my heart. Yeah. Uh, but then also like, oh my gosh, my heart. Thank goodness. It's like, it, yeah, something's wrong. Yeah, um, like it's so weird because like being undiagnosed is, is so isolating um, yeah. and scary. And then on the same time, like, I don't know what it feels like to have a diagnosis. It might be also very yeah. isolating and scary. <laughs> you know, I hope to find out right. someday. Um, it, just like the, the scale of how you feel about things completely changes based off of the information that you get. And when you have yeah. limited information, it's just like this huge, looming, terrifying, like, you know, smoke monster <laughs> that has like no distingu- yeah. <laughs> distinguishable form to it. But then when you put a form to it, it might be just as scary. You know, I don't know. I've been thinking about that recently. It's like, I really want this diagnosis, but if I get it, is that going to be terrifying as well? Or is it going to be joyful? Like, I don't even, I'm not sure how I'm going to feel unless it happens. Right. Like, especially if that diagnosis is something that can't be treated. Like, I've had to kind of think about that a lot. Like, what if it is just, or not just, but it's a label, but, um, like there's not an easy fix. There's not like a pill or a procedure that can be done. Um, yeah, totally. Yeah, to- yeah, absolutely. And then it's just, you know, then you have to integrate a lifelong, like un- untreatable, incurable illness into your identity. And that's a whole, yeah. a whole bunch of work too. You know, this is why therapy is important. Yeah. I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Going back to what you said before of like, you know, like if you have a diagnosis, being able to have a doctor say like, oh, don't push yourself too hard or mm-hmm. like know your limits. Like, I feel like I had a moment like that in therapy when I tried uh, in September. Um, and that's when I, de- um, I decided to take the medical leave and I can talk more about that kind of process, which was, yeah, I think kind of wild being disabled in grad school and just have lack of supports there are in grad school. But anyway, um, yeah, like I just had this moment where like my therapist was like, Emily, grad school isn't supposed to be like physically straining. Like mm. it shouldn't be, or like, uh, or like able-bodied people aren't having this experience of like walking five minutes to class makes you <laughs> pass out and then have to sleep for two days afterwards. Like <laughs> yeah. that's not, that's not supposed to be like a barrier that's there. Um, I don't know. Yeah. So yeah, like, that's been very eye-opening for me, like realizing, um, yeah, I guess just like when like signs come up, like, okay, it's time to step back. It's time to pause. Um, like, even if you don't want to, and you want to, you know, I guess like keep pursuing things or working or whatever. Um, yeah. Like listening to those things, even when you don't have a diagnosis or something on a piece of paper saying like take rest at this time or don't do this. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I, for me, it's just been my my body's like you're done. You know, you're not yeah, going so to work. You, you know, yeah, you're done. Yeah, like I, I was at the point where I just physically couldn't get myself to work, and that's when I went on leave. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, yeah, I do want to. I do want to hear more about that because I was, 
I'm I'm curious about that because you know you're in grad school, which is like you, you, people don't go to grad school unless they really want to, you know. Yeah. <laughs> like when no, you graduate school, <laughs> for me, I was like, I'm done. No more school yeah. for me. So when you go to grad school, that means that there's something that you're passionate about that you want, like a vocation that you want to get into, and to to have to pause that is a really huge decision. So yeah, talk yeah. us through that, and and I'm curious also about the the timing of this with your physical uh you know changes as well because it sounds like you you had these massive seizures uh when you were around 24 you said right am i right yeah. okay yeah <laughs> i have bad memory um so you have these massive massive seizures and then what was the timeline for the the weakness and the hard time walking was that around when you were 24 as well um I would say it like started around that time, but it was so slow progressing. Sure. I mean, I used to be a very active person. I like biked everywhere in the city where I, um, in Boston and went running. Like, yeah, I would have considered, yeah, like I was a very active human. It just like, yeah. it's interesting kind of where my body is now. Um, <laughs> yeah. So like, it went from that to like, you know, okay. Like I am feeling like a little bit more out of breath sometimes or, to like now like the thought of biking a biking like all the way across Boston there's just no way I could do it like my body would yeah. you know laugh at me <laughs> I guess but, um yeah I, it's so yeah. funny because I relate to this so much like I I was working um up in Northgate and living on Capitol Hill in Seattle which means nothing to you I'm sure but it I, <laughs> I would try to bike it you know at least once or twice a week uh, and that's a 45 minute bike ride. So I would yeah. like take the bus with my bike to work uh, most yeah, of the time <laughs> and then bike home. Cause like biking yeah. for 45 minutes after a long day of work feels incredible. It and does, I think yeah, about that like now is like, and you're seeing the trees. Yeah. And yeah. Like, <laughs> like the wind in yeah. your face and you're out of the office. And you're like, I'm free. Yeah. Um, and now I can't, you know, <laughs> the last time I tried to go on a bike ride, the last couple of times I've done it, I get stuck, you know, like I, I go, yeah. <laughs> I go just a little ways and my legs stop functioning. And then yeah. I'm like, well, well, what do I do now? So I don't do that anymore because <laughs> yeah. it's kind of yeah. dangerous. You know, like I, I yeah, lose I the ability. My partner, like the last time I tried to be like, can you pick me up? It's like, I physically can't. Yeah. Further. Yeah. yeah. So, and, and yeah, I like my body now laughs at the idea that I could even do that before. Cause it seems insane. Yeah. Um, and that switch for me happened like overnight, you know, where it was really, yeah. Well, well not overnight, but like very quickly, like within yeah. a couple of months, it's like, I could do all this stuff and then I couldn't, and it didn't, it turned off and just didn't turn back on. Um, so right. I, it's so weird that like, I mean, I, I don't have seizures, um, but it's so interesting. Like so much of our experience is so similar, you know, it's really yeah. bizarre because like, it is because it is so yeah. isolating to see. So to hear someone else talk about something that is so familiar but so isolating is like kind of weird, yeah. you know, I'm still, it's really weird. <laughs> it's yeah. Really when like strange. nobody like in like your physical community, yeah, you know, is going through the same thing and yeah. It's wild. Yeah. So yeah. Tell me about the decision to, to go and leave from grad, grad school. Yeah. So I, um, so I started grad school actually right around when the pandemic hit. Yeah. So I think I started grad school. It would have been like the fall of, 2020 maybe fall of 2019 or 2020 one of those so I yeah so I started grad school during the pandemic so um all my classes were online which you know was amazing and made grad school so much more accessible like I don't have to worry about getting places um 
and like being upright for class. Yeah, just all of that stuff. Yeah. So I was lucky that I was able to do, um, yeah, I guess like 60% of my degree online. Wow. And then this past September, uh, everything was in person all of a sudden. Um, and I like, I knew it was going to be a struggle for anyone, like, uh, like adjusting to suddenly doing grad school in person versus online. Um, but I don't think I like allowed myself to really, I guess, like process and plan for what that would be like with my physical limitations. Um, uh, and because I was, yeah, like not having to like go out every single day for stuff during the pandemic. Um, I don't think I like maybe like realized how much things had progressed until September when classes were in person, I was doing my clinical internship in the hospital. Um, and I lasted all of September <laughs> until I got to the end of that month. And it was just like, I couldn't stay awake for like a full work day. It just like, it wasn't even like, Oh, it was hard. It's like my body physically couldn't, like yeah. couldn't do that. Um, yeah. And like the standing and walking between classes and walking around the hospital all day, um, like to see clients, uh, I just couldn't do it. And it like felt like I was like actually harming my body. Um, yeah. So I really didn't want to take a leave, but it just like, I feel like um, similar to how you said, like it reached a point where it was like, I can't, like I physically can't go, like I can't be awake and cognizant. And like, I was seeing clients for therapy sessions and I like decided after the end of a week when um, I like could kind of feel myself like I wasn't being as present with people as I needed to be. And if I'm going to be somebody's therapist, I just like, it felt irresponsible. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. To be doing that when I was like, I guess making myself so sick that I couldn't really be present with people and like give good support and treatment. Um, yeah. So that was kind of my moment that I was like, all right, <laughs> time to step back, even though I didn't want to. Um, yeah, so I think, um, so that, yeah, so that was a big piece. Um, and then um, even just like the piece of trying to get to classes, I like tried all these different things and like tried different bus routes and train routes and contacted like disability services on campus to see if there's a shuttle I could take, like anything to reduce walking time. And there's just like nothing available to me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I just kind of hit a wall where it was like, I might just need a year to figure out how to be a disabled person <laughs> in order to plan how to be like a disabled grad student, I guess, for my last year. Um, yeah, so I made the decision at the end of September and kind of have, yeah, like been in leave since then. But yeah. yeah. Have you thought about um, like mobility aids? Yeah, so I actually, I just got a wheelchair oh, <laughs> like wow. a week ago. Uh, it's kind of funny. I, um, you had her on your podcast. Uh, I'm a roll with it. Yeah, Maya. Yeah, Maya. So I like, I love Maya. I like follow her on TikTok. And um, so Maya's posted about there's, uh, I guess like a program in lots of states where you can get uh, like used, mm -hmm. durable. Yeah. Um, like wheelchairs or walkers, things like that. Um, yeah. So I found out about a program in Massachusetts and I reached out in December once I, uh, you know, things had kept progressing and it just got to the point where it's like, you know, going to, yeah, like even like the grocery store, 
like has become really, really challenging. Um, yeah, so I recently got one, which is very exciting. It's like sitting in here right now, um, but I haven't gone out and used it yet. So I feel like I'm still kind of in that mental, uh, I don't know, like trying to push myself to use it versus uh, pushing myself to walk too much. But yeah. Totally. Yeah, that it's hard to be seen in public for the first time in a wheelchair. I went through that yeah. you know, uh, it, about a year ago, uh, almost a year ago at this point. And it, it's tough, but I really encourage you to give it a try. You know, just getting out and feeling, it's like that feeling of biking a little bit, of like feeling yeah. the wind on your face and, you know, being out and moving. It just feels so good. Uh, so, you know, and, and like people, people have short memories. The people that know you, <laughs> the people that know you and see you in a wheelchair are going to ask you what's going on and you can explain to them. But the people who don't know you and see you in a wheelchair, they could see you the next day walking and they wouldn't know it was the same person. You know, like really? that, that's yeah. been my experience at least is that I, I like, I have this weird like imposter syndrome now. It's like, if I go, um, if I, if I've been using the wheelchair a lot and then I have a good day where I can walk a little bit. It's like walking around my apartment complex. Sometimes I'm like, yeah. people must think that I like either they're crazy or I'm crazy. Um, if, <laughs> but they probably don't even know, know who I am. You know, I think that right. they probably see the chair and not me uh, on the days where I'm using the chair. And if they do recognize yeah. me and they want to ask, they can. But like the general person at the grocery store is like, I have no idea that some that I can walk a little bit and question me about it, you know? Yeah. Um, and like being able to walk a little bit and needing a wheelchair is so valid. Like so many people do that. And there's all sorts of diseases where that's the case. Um, and and there's nothing to be ashamed of with that. Like you have to do you, you have to do what's best for your body. And it's been so great for me to get out in the wheelchair. Like I really, really love just getting out and going for a roll. It's been a huge benefit in my process of whatever it is that I'm going through. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's been really helpful. Like, I think just listening to like how you've talked about even just now about wheelchairs and like hearing other people talk about it as this like thing that uh, like provides more mobility and access to stuff. Um, yeah, has been helpful in my own process because I mean, like starting in September, I like start like just started to I guess like more seriously think about it when it was like, yeah, like I kept thinking like, wow, this would be much easier if I had a wheelchair, you know? Um, and then uh, after I went on the leave, I had like a couple times um, just like out with my partner taking a walk where I would like, you know, have to sit down and they would have to go get their car or something to get me because like, well, I'm stuck here now. Um, yeah. It's like, you just have those moments um, or like, or for me, like I just kept having those moments where it's like, well, like this would like allow me to do yeah. The things that I want to do. Um, yeah. And then also like, uh, yeah, I guess like seeing people talk about, I mean, uh, like if you, yeah, like people who don't need mobility aids don't have those thoughts, I guess. Exactly. I was just yeah. going to say that. I was just going to say that if you're having those thoughts, then that is enough of a reason to use it. Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. I, I went through the same thing and it's hard to make that, that mental transition. Uh, but you know, using a wheelchair does not like change who you are. It doesn't 
it doesn't make you less than you were before. It makes you more than you were before in some cases. For me, yeah. anyway, it's like, wow, I have my mobili mobility back. And that makes me feel like more of a full person than I did before. And hopefully someday both of us will get diagnoses. And who knows if that will change the mobility situation for each of us. It might, it might not. So being able to be mobile either way is so important. And having that option yeah. with the wheelchair is so important. And it takes a lot of time to build up some muscle too. Like don't, you know, I could, I could go like a block and a half when I first tried a wheelchair and now I can go oh, really? a lot further and I can go up hills that I couldn't do before. Uh, it took a lot of time to build up some muscle, but that process was so rewarding because I could do it. You know, it's like, I'm right. losing all this leg muscle. I can't go on bike rides anymore. Um, I can barely, you know, walk for, you know, just like a couple blocks at a time of going a couple blocks is like, you know, some days further than I can go at all. And some days, it, you know, if I try to do it, I can, but then it'll completely wear me out for like a week after. So, um, yeah. but going a couple blocks in a wheelchair is no big deal. So it's really, really exciting. I love it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm definitely excited to, yeah, I guess just like see what life will be like yeah. now that I have that tool. It's been harder because, I mean, we have a lot of snow here. Mm, so, yeah. Yeah. So, like, I haven't even tried to, uh, yeah. yeah, navigate in the snow, but I imagine that's going to be a whole. Yeah. That's something I don't thing, but... know much about. You know, yeah. we have like one week of snow a year and I just didn't go out that week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. The ice and snow and stuff, like, that's a whole deal. Um, yeah. So, you mentioned that you might be circling a diagnosis. So, what's the situation with that? Yeah, so um, it's very, uh, I guess I have trouble, I think, even trying to like keep my own mind straight around it or to be like fully understand <laughs> or like to fully understand, I guess, sort of like diagnostic criteria and everything. Um, but so I've gone through some pretty intense uh, like testing to rule out, uh, I guess, like neurological seizures. Yeah, so like epilepsy or something um, yeah, like in the brain or neurological causing it. Um, but I had, I guess like for me, it was a very exciting moment in the summer where uh, I got like, what is it called? Uh, autonomic testing done. Um, yeah. So it's like your autonomic nervous system kind of, it's like how your uh, nervous system and cardiac system connects. Um, yeah, there's like a set of testing that can be done to see um, if symptoms are related to that. Um, so I had what's called a tilt table test done, mm -hmm. which I had been asking for for years. But um, yeah, everyone was like, oh, no, you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> like, you're fine. Yeah. So I finally got one done. And it was the first time I had a seizure like in front of doctors, which oh, wow. was from from like, the tilt table test, you had a seizure. Yeah. Wow. And yet, tilt table test is something that we've talked about quite a bit on the show. If if yeah. people want to go back and listen, we talked to uh, Michelle about POTS. Uh, we talked to a couple yeah. people about POTS on the show who have had tilt table tests. Zoe actually also talked about this recently. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, but I've never heard of someone having a seizure during a tilt table test. Yeah. So, I think that's... Um, it's been a little confusing for me because, like, I don't think there is a lot of... Or, like, people don't... Or, Maybe it's not as common um, to experience seizures from, I guess, like postural changes. Um, but so they're thinking that it might be more cardiac related and then like under, I guess, the umbrella of dysautonomia. Hmm. Wow. Which would make some sense. But um, 
like I feel like I'm having the issue now where like different specialists are sort of disagreeing with each other. Yikes. <laughs> um, yeah, where it's like some specialists I'm seeing feel like epilepsy has been completely ruled out and then other specialists I'm seeing like very much think it's cardiac. Um, yeah, so I'm a little confused and still like <laughs> like feeling hopeful, but then yeah. uh, not totally sure. Wow. And then just last week, I finally was able to see a rheumatologist. Um, it's funny that we were like joking about lupus, but um, we're not joking about it. Yeah, but like using it um, as an example, but um, my primary care doctor thought I could have lupus. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> so wanted me to go in for testing for that. And um, I don't have lupus, but um, yeah, I feel like so many of us are tested for lupus because it's kind of like the catch all. For yeah. I just think of lupus a lot because of watching house. They're always like, Is yeah, it lupus? Lupus. <laughs> yeah, lupus or Lyme. I feel like. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the problem is that all, all of these diseases are so similar, you know, like all, the symptoms of like hundreds of diseases are identical. So it's like, how do yeah. you figure out which one it is? Yeah, I know. It's so, Yeah. Yeah, it's so confusing. Um, uh, so he actually did a screener for Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, which is interesting because I like know about it, but wasn't really considering that as maybe like a piece of the things that I'm struggling with. And like I passed the Baton score. I don't know if you've talked about the Baton score at I all. I haven't. No, I'm not familiar um, with that. Yeah. So the Baton score, it's... Uh, I guess like the diagnostic tool to like screener diagnose for Ehlers-Danlos, um, like specifically like the hypermobile type. Mm -hmm. Um, but also like once people are like, if you pass that, then, uh, like it's recommended that you get, ge um, genetic testing. Um, and this is just like the research that I've done and like what my doctors have told me. Um, yeah. So I passed that and they're having me go in now for genetic testing um, which won't be for like many, many, many months out. Um, yeah, I don't know if you've ever tried to get genetic testing done, but it's just this, it's like very challenging to find places that will do it. Yeah. Um, I, I've I had know. a little, a little bit done yeah. for, for me, at least it was like, we're only going to test you for these very specific things Yeah, and yeah. like, you're not going to get tested for anything else. And my doctor wanted me to get a full genetic panel and they just said, well, unless you want to pay $10,000 out of pocket, that's not going to happen. Yeah. I know. It's like, where's that money going to come from? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, but we're, we're still thinking about it. Cause like I've done some research and I found some um, private companies that will sequence your whole genome for a lot less, but really? then, I, but then yeah. I don't know, like, is that going to be medically accurate? Cause that there's no yeah. point if it's not accurate. So um, yeah, I don't know <laughs> one step at a time, but so it sounds like, it sounds like you finally have a team around you of, of people who are taking you seriously and running appropriate tests and finding some hints of what might be going on and are trying to track down leads. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I feel like it's actually really happened very recently. Um, yeah, like just, just like the last couple of weeks, actually. Um, uh, mostly from like, I was seeing other doctors and then I have a friend um, that sees some of these doctors and she recommended them. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to try like a new team of people <laughs> to yeah. see if maybe. Yeah. Yeah, so um, it's taken many, many months to get in with them, but like just recently now, like I'm getting in to see some of the doctors. Um, yeah, so I'm not really still sure, I guess, 
like if that would describe everything um well yeah i mean it's hard to say when you don't know what it is (laughs) yeah like i've been i've been thinking about this so much recently just like what what is the cause and effect of the things that we do to our bodies the choices we make when things help sometimes they help for reasons that we didn't expect or didn't understand so like like what is the story of what's happening in in my body i don't know like (laughs) yeah and it's like i don't want to get my hopes up either i know yeah yeah well so like sort of what i've been told even by like the doctors that i've mentioned ellie sandlows and maybe like pots or other forms of dysautonomia is like you might like have these things going on it seems like you might but we can't promise that that totally explains what's going on with you so it's like all right great i guess i like maybe i'm figuring out some things but um yeah yeah like it might not totally like direct them to like finding things to manage stuff um totally yeah i know that's the other tricky thing is like I mean, we've talked to a few people that have POTS as a piece of their symptom picture. And we talked to Michelle where that POTS yeah. is her, her, the whole story with, as far as she knows. Um, but yeah, sometimes one thing can be a sign of something else or a comorbidity yeah. with something else. And, you know, if the, if the thing that you find is incurable and untreatable, but there are things you can do to manage and those things help how do you know there isn't another thing? <laughs> exactly. Just, yeah. It's such a headache, you know? <laughs> it, it really is. Yeah. And then it's like when they find things that are like off, but like they're not super concerned with it because it's like considered minor. But right. then you think, well, maybe we should just treat everything to see. I don't know. Yeah. So like recently they found that I have um, a mitral valve prolapse um, in my heart, but it's like considered mm. mild. Um yeah. So, but then it's like in my brain, I'm like, well, it's a heart thing. And like, maybe it's like explaining what's wrong with me. So we should just treat it. But, you know, but yeah. because it's in like a mild category. Yeah. So it's very confusing. Um, yeah. That's, that's something I struggle with too. It's like, you know, there's a number that's slightly off. Um, yeah. That in conjunction with the symptoms I'm having seems more s- serious than the numbers would say, you know, cause yeah. the doctors are very concerned about like, you know, you get a blood test and like, this is the green zone. This is the yellow. And this is the red. The yellow is like yeah. a minor, minor yeah. off. The red is like, you're off, off. And if it's in the yellow, they often don't want to do anything because it's mi- considered minor, but it's like, well, if I have debilitating symptoms and this thing, causes those symptoms and is off shouldn't we do something <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> you know? i feel like you're putting into words yeah just like a frustration i've had or yeah 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 where it's like well this could be the answer like shouldn't we like follow this breadcrumb here um yeah yeah, yeah. at the very least just follow the breadcrumb yeah so what are your support systems you mentioned uh, a partner that sounds like they help you when you get stuck places like mine does for <laughs> <Yeah>. me <laughs> Yeah, I mean, um, I feel very fortunate. I mean, yeah, so I like, uh, I live with my partner. We've been together, I guess, for like almost four years now. Um, yeah, which I feel like I've heard you talk a little bit about too, just like an interesting experience. So, like, yeah, to have one person in a relationship dealing with mm-hmm. physical health stuff and how that impacts the relationship and how you think about, I guess, just like life with your partner. Um, yeah. yeah, but yeah, so I have my partner who's very supportive and, um, I mean, even just 
logistics wise, they can drive and I obviously can't because of the seizures. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Which is like a whole nother thing. I mean, not being able to drive when you have a disability that limits movement as a whole. Yeah. Just a thing to yeah. navigate. It's an interesting barrier. Yeah. Um, I have the same problem. I know. I know. It's so frustrating. Yeah. It's like, I just want to like get from point A to B and it's, yeah. Um, yeah. So I have my partner and um, I do have like a good uh, like group of friends. Um, yeah. But it has been interesting. I think like the process of becoming disabled and like kind of learning who in your life uh, is less comfortable with disability. And yeah. yeah. So like, I feel like I, um, yeah, I guess like the people who I like always knew that I would be close with and would be there for me and I would be there for them are like still around, but yeah, but like have definitely kind of experienced like the drifting that I think I've like heard other disabled people talk about that kind of happens when you like acquire a disability and yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <But> <laughs> yeah. It's like you go to the disability store and you're like, this one looks fun. I'm going to take this one home. And then all of a yeah. sudden your friend's like, oh, I don't know about that choice. Like that hat does not yeah, match your disability. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's weird the way people look at you differently, but it, it's very informative as to who are your true friends. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, you, how has your mental health been inside of all of this? Do you mind sharing any, any, uh, context about your PTSD? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, so I, you know, like I think many people or not many people, but there are many of us with PTSD who like had like a lot of childhood trauma and just, uh, not the best childhood in many different ways and experienced different types of abuse. And then kind of later in life, um, I like sought mental health treatment and kind of started sifting through things and realized that I have had PTSD my whole life and it like wasn't treated most of my life. Um, but uh, I feel really lucky with the timing of how my, I guess my symptoms have progressed, like my medical symptoms, um, because once they really got bad, I had been in therapy at that point for like, like three or four years. Um, yeah, so I like have a pretty good handle on, I guess, like managing PTSD. But um, yeah, uh, yeah, like many people like who have chronic mental health stuff like myself. It's like, I guess, like you kind of get to a point, um, like for me at least, where I like know that this is something that I'll have my whole life, but I'm like at a point of management. I like feel like I have a good grasp on it. Um, but that's actually partly why I'm getting a service dog, which is very exciting. Um, yeah, I just like, it's been kind of part of my like process of like figuring out like, okay, how do I like, accept that this is something that I'm going to live with my whole life. Um, but like, I still want to do things. I still want to have a career. Um, yes. Like what tools do I need? Um, and I like made that decision before my medical stuff uh, progressed. So I don't know. Yeah. Like I think in some ways it helped me make the decision to get a wheelchair. Cause I had kind of like, yeah, like, um, like done one process before of like deciding I needed like a tool to, mm. Yeah, just to get through life and manage things. Um, I love that. That's so cool. Because, like, yeah, I mean, you can do things and get through life, you know, with, yeah. with a disability. And there are tools to aid in that. And it's really, it can be really awesome to use them. It can be so powerful and helpful to use them, you know. And to, 
I, you know, to fight against that part of your brain that's like using any tool to get through life is a represent represents failure. You know, like that's kind of what we're taught, and it is not yeah. true. It is not true, and it yeah. took me a while to get over that. But once I did, I'm just so much happier for it. You know, so it's so cool that you kind of went through that process uh, and found that answer in a completely different context before. Um, running into it again. That's really interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, I definitely, like, I think uh, it is challenging or maybe like new in some ways, uh, like working in the mental health field, but yeah. also like being somebody with a diagnosed psychiatric <laughs> condition and like something that's chronic and lifelong. And I guess soon maybe will be more visible in some ways once I do have a service dog. Yeah, I guess just like something that I'll have to figure out once I'm in the field more. Like, what is it like to be, I guess, like a mental health provider with my own psychiatric stuff? But yeah. Yeah, well, it's going to give you a lot of empathy and understanding for what your patients are going through. Yeah. Every sure. single person in the world has mental health stuff. We all do. Oh, yeah. We <laughs> all do. It's just, you know, most people bury it and deny that it exists and fight against it and because there's like social stigma around it which is stupid <laughs> yeah definitely yeah it's causing yeah, a lot like, of people to be miserable to... yeah yeah i know right yeah it's like it's so common like not in like a bad way but yeah like it's just being present um yeah everyone's dealing with but um yeah i feel like this whole process though has like change where I want to work like I like I want to work with disabled and chronically ill folks and like I'm kind of excited what that might look like as somebody yeah who like totally. in that experience and can be open and I don't, yeah because like I know myself like it would be awesome to have like a therapist who like shared those pieces of identity and yeah yeah absolutely well my last question for you if you could talk to someone else who was undiagnosed and you know you went through this whole childhood where you weren't even looking for an answer you didn't know that you needed to um and then suddenly find out that you do need to look for an answer and you've had to kind of do all this mental shifting to um to get into that headspace of like well we, now we need to figure this out and it sounds like you've learned a lot along the way you've learned more about how to you know, work in concert with what's happening in your body to accept your body where it's at. Um, so what message would you send to someone else who's at the beginning of that journey with an undiagnosed disease? Um, I feel like I like maybe have like two, two answers that are like part of the same thing in some ways, but um, like, I think first, like, I wish I had known that, like, there are people out there that will be in your court, I guess, like, so to speak, like, like, it might be hard to find people that, like, want to fight with you and for you and are going to listen, but they're out there. Um, and I think it would have been helpful to know that. Um, yeah, just like have that hope there that like, there are great doctors and social workers and therapists out there and like people who do want to support you. And it's not kind of, um, like, it's not normal to not be believed and supported. Like, that isn't the norm. Um, and then I guess, like, like, something more internal. Like, I wish I had known that it's okay to, like, make adjustments and, 
like ask for and use tools that you need <laughs> to get through life before it's like been prescribed to you. I don't know. Like, I feel like maybe there's some stigma, I guess, even saying that maybe in the disability community, but it's like, if you need a wheelchair and you don't have access to doctors uh, in that moment, or I don't know. Yeah. Like it's okay to like seek out things that, will help you get by even if you don't have a medical team behind you at that moment that can help you get that absolutely yeah Yeah. i'm really struck by how similar our experiences have been it's really kind of tripping me out a little bit (laughs) yeah (laughs) because like when you first wrote in you're like yeah i mean what you know talking about my you sent in an email talking about like how my experience and how you related to it and it's like, I'm really feeling that today. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm yeah, really. I feel like yeah. Um, like, I found your podcast actually through TikTok. And then I just like had like a week where I like listened to all your episodes that were out and just could not stop listening. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, this is like somebody who has the same ex- or like similar experience to me. And yeah, it was pretty wild. Yeah. And it's so funny because like, I mean, I make this show and. <laughs> I do feel like our experience has lined up really closely in a lot of ways. And it, yeah, it's still, it's like, it's, a, it's kind of bizarre to hear someone else say things that I might have said, you know, like I used to bike all over yeah. the city and then my legs stopped working and now I'm using a wheelchair and I still don't know why it's like, I, I would say a hundred, uh, that describes me a hundred percent accurately. You know, like those, that's a yeah. sentence <laughs> that I have said before. Um, and it is so powerful to like talk to someone else who's lived that experience. I'm so glad you came on the show, you know. <laughs> and yeah, like that, thank that's you for why having me. this is like why I want to make the show is to give people that experience. But it is it it really takes me aback when it happens to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, I imagine it must feel uh, yeah, just like meaningful to I guess like be creating what maybe like you needed at the beginning of your experience and like well like I feel like we all need is just like to find other people who have some yeah uh like similar frustrations and like joys too and yeah yeah. it's so important to feel that you're not alone going through something like this you know yeah and we aren't it's just we feel that way because these things are are relatively rare or just kind of not talked about publicly so how are you going to know what someone else is going through it if if no one's talking about it? Um, but I really, really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your story. It's been fascinating to listen to. And I just feel, I, I it's just so weird to know that there's like someone else going through something so similar to me out there. It's crazy. It's yeah. like the fact that we're actually talking to each other just feels kind of insane. Um, yeah. And I'm just so glad that this happened. Is Is there anything that you'd like to share or plug, any social media, anything like that you'd like to direct our listeners towards? Um, I feel like I don't, I don't have any like social media accounts. I've like thought about maybe doing something disability and mental health related. So maybe being on the show will inspire me to, I guess, maybe do something. Um, But I'd love to share my service dog fundraiser. I mean, I know a lot of us with disabilities don't have employment and all of that, but even just like sharing it on social media um, has gotten me pretty far and it's been really helpful. Um, yeah. So, and it's going to be a tool for me to manage seizures and all that. If I don't find a diagnosis and don't find, um, 
yeah, like a way to manage it like medically. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So people could share that that would be great. Yeah. So where do people go to help out with your service dog fundraiser? Um, I can give you a link. Okay. Yeah. I'll put a so, link in the description of the podcast. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, service dogs, it's an, <laughs> there's so much about like disability, you know, wheelchairs, uh, like a car to, to your wheelchair will fit in. It's so yeah. astronomically expensive. Service dogs oh are astronomically <laughs> expensive. So yeah. if anyone has anything to give, you know, this is a great, a great thing to, to donate to is to, to help Emily get a service dog. Cause that's so important. And I love dogs so much and service dogs in particular are trained so, you know, intensely, and it can cost tens of thousands of dollars to get a service dog. So, yeah, um, yeah I will share that link in the description for sure. All right. Well, thank you. And um, I'm excited to see where your podcast grows. Like, I feel like I just have this feeling that, yeah, like it's going to keep growing and I'm like excited to have found you early on, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Well, that means a lot. I really appreciate that. I'm excited to yeah. see where it goes too. You know, I've I've never made anything like this before and it's really it's just incredible to, you know, to be doing it. It's just people's willingness to come on the show and talk about what they've experienced and their, you know, incredible ability to talk about it and to kind of give us a picture into what it's like is really powerful. And, and it's fun. And it makes me feel less alone to do it. And I, you know, I just love it. And I, I really appreciate you coming on the show. You did an awesome job. I'm so glad you're part of the show now officially <laughs> thank you <laughs> not not just an email form because i know i read your email uh several episodes back but um but yeah you've been a huge supporter of the show i really really appreciate it it's you know people like you reaching out that keeps me going and um i really just am so glad that you're here talking to me today so emily thank you, you did an awesome job thank you so much for coming oh, on the show. thank you <laughs> thanks for listening to this episode of major pain I'm Jesse Mercury, your host and the producer of this podcast. Artwork by Egg Salad Salad. Our theme music is the song Time Machine from my sci-fi synth-pop album, available at jessemercury.bandcamp.com. Send your thoughts or questions to our email address, majorpainpodcast at gmail.com. You can also use that address to find us on PayPal. Tips are greatly appreciated. Don't forget to leave a positive rating and review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice. Find more information about this show or leave a comment on any episode at our website, majorpainpodcast.com. Major Pain is supported by listeners on Patreon. Thank you to our $2 per month supporters, our $7 per month patrons, Naomi Adele Smith, Sunny Roberts, Laura Stevens, Brooke Walters-Schmidt, Kelsey Matson, and All Around Foundation Waterproofing, and our $25 per month producers, Steve Cavanaugh, Chris Fowler, Ensign Q, and Trish O'Brien. Learn how you can support the show while receiving special recognition, gifts, and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash majorpainpodcast.